0: evening to you. It's good to see you this evening. It's a middle of the winter, cold um, day, but it's good to come and to fellowship with God's people in the middle of the week and and to come and pray. we have been looking through Ecclesiastes and looking at uh, some motivations for prayer, some reasons for prayer. And so tonight I'd like you to turn to Ecclesiastes 9 verse 16 and 17. This is where we left off last time in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He told the story of a a poor man in a little city. And a great king came to fight against that city. The poor wise man, by his wisdom, delivered the city. And then he said, yet no one remembered that poor man. At the end of that, he says this in verse 16. But I, say, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Wisdom is better than might. One of the key um, phrases in Ecclesiastes is better than. There are some things that are better than. It tells you that he's not just taking a, a skeptic look uh, at life. and uh, uh, but He's saying, I see life for what it is. We live in a messed up world, and yet there are some things that are better than others. And we'd be wise to choose the better things because, another theme in Ecclesiastes, is life is very limited. Our life is like a vapor. Uh, Vanity is one of the key words in Ecclesiastes, and it reminds us how brief life is. And so in the brevity of life, we would do well to be wise and choose better things, or choose what is wise and what is good and what is right. So he says that in verse 16, wisdom is better than might, even though poor man's wisdom is despised. His words are not heard. Then he goes into verse 17. Let me read that. The words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. <laughs> yeah, I can put it, I can paraphrase into our situation. It's better to hear some of God's word and his wisdom on a cold Wednesday night when few people are gathered for prayer than to be in a ruckus crowd uh, where um, in our cities in our, in our state's capital or in our country's capital where the popular are gathered together and they're shouting and having their their times it's better actually to hear God's word and be here and uh, God's words of wisdom <coughs> he makes I think the start of two principles that I want us to look at tonight. Two principles. One is in this verse, and then we go into chapter 10 to see the next one. The first principle is this a little good is better than a lot of evil. Little good is better than a lot of evil. And I use the term better than again a comparison and a decision made. based on wisdom a little good even if it's just a little is better than a whole lot of evil another way of saying that is a little good can overcome a lot of evil think about that a little good can overcome a lot of evil as I started meditating on that today and I started thinking about it in terms of prayer reminded of prayer the prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. It's a lot of good even though it's just one little righteous man who's protecting this city, right? Or who's delivering this city by his wisdom. How about delivering that city by his prayer? A little prayer from a righteous person can avail much. It can avail over much evil. This principle is an encouragement to us to pray a little prayer can do a lot of good you're standing in the gap for some people you're standing in the gap for your family you bring prayer requests tonight asking God to to intervene in in the lives and the spiritual uh, emptiness of your family members A little good, a little prayer can do a lot of good. It can challenge a lot of evil. We're here tonight, I believe, because someone was concerned about us and somebody prayed for us. And that has averted a lot of evil. I can speak for my own life. Because my parents were faithful in serving God and praying for me. They kept me from a lot of evil. Because they kept me from evil. They kept the next generation, my children that I've raised from evil. A little good, a little prayer, can avail much. So that's the first principle. Let me read it again in Ecclesiastes 9:17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Then he goes with the second principle that I think we need to take hold of, and that's the last part of verse 18. But one sinner destroys much good. We can relate to that too, right? One sinner destroys much good. And that That principle is picked up again in chapter 10, verse 1. Look at this. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Dead flies. The perfumer's ointment, okay, is is this concoction that's made up. It's made to be a very fragrant, fragrant, scent, and very pleasant scent, but a few dead flies can come in there and ruin that whole thing. Another way to look at it is a pot of soup, you know, know, how many flies in a soup until it's a bad soup? (laughs) Just one, just a half of one, (laughs) doesn't take much. A little evil can harm, do a lot of harm to good, Okay? and you think these principles are conflicting. No, they're, they're two truths that I think we need to understand, and they both, the one encourages us, and the second cautions us. While well, I'm using the first one to encourage us to pray, to pray, a little prayer goes a long way. A little prayer can avail a lot of evil. Uh, it can battle and, and, and withhold or withstand or stand against a lot of evil. But the second one is a caution as well. And it says a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And that's the end of verse 1 in chapter 2. And if you look at the end of chapter 9, verse 18, one sinner destroys much good. And that principle too is this, a little evil ruins much good. A little evil ruins much good. It's a warning to our us, In our lives, I think about it this way. It's a warning about our testimony. You can live a life of of doing what's right and, and working to your testimony to get established, and it takes one careless word. It takes one wrong action to bring it to ruin. And so it's a warning to us of how evil works. The first one is an encouragement. And our prayer can go a long way. The second is a caution and a warning to say, and I think it's warning and challenging us to faithfulness. Faithfulness. Be faithful in doing well. Because if you just do it periodically, the little bad, the inconsistencies can ruin all of the faithfulness that you've done before. So it's encouraging us to be faithful. Can we tie those both into prayer? It's saying know that your prayer is valuable and useful and it can take down strongholds. A little prayer, a little righteousness, a little good can do much in the, in the fight against evil. And then take this, let's not just be doing it randomly or sporadically, let's be faithful at it because a little evil can ruin a lot of good. Let's be faithful in our service to the Lord. Now, when I look at these three Ecclesiastes, isn't he reminding us that we live in evil times and we need to act in wisdom? We, need, we live in evil times, so we need to pray. We need to pray faithfully. We need to be encouraged in our prayer. Though prayer and Wednesday night is not the strongest uh, service that's attended even in our church, yet a few people can have a huge impact in our church and in our society. The second principle reminds us to be faithful, even though there's just a few here, and even though you think, "Ah, I'm not going to go this time. Be faithful serving the Lord because one indiscretion One act of unfaithfulness, one act that we're not consistent in our behavior can cause a lot of harm. And so think about that as we um, pray tonight to be encouraged, pray against evil, and pray for our own faithfulness, that we will persevere and be faithful in, in, in all that God has called us to do. You can, you can apply that to so many things. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it with a spirit of faithfulness, a spirit of committedness, not just random, but to be consistent at it. You can look at those principles in so many things in life, can't you? Right? Um, you, you need to see the impact. Let's be faithful. But realize uh, motivation for faithfulness is, yes, a little good can bring down a strong evil. And uh, so it's just encouragement for, for us tonight to pray.
1: Good evening, saints. We're going to continue in our meditation in the Gospel of John. So turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. I'm going to do something a little bit different. um, Because the chapter is just too long to read it all. I still want to get some general thoughts. So let's just um, skip around a little bit. And I just want to show you some verses that I'm looking at. As I'm trying to understand this chapter. So... Remember that in chapter 11, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they're at a party. And Mary starts to wipe Jesus' feet with this expensive fragrance. And we'll look at what Judas says in verse 5. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Then, in verse 9 through 11, you'll see that the crowd sees that Lazarus has been resurrected and they start believing more in Jesus and the chief priests want to plot against Jesus verse 12 through 19 the triumphal entry and look at verse 19 so the Pharisees said to one another you see you are gaining nothing look the world has gone after him. some Greeks seek after Jesus they meet up with Philip and they try to see Jesus and so he says this and Jesus answered them the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father, the father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now the judgment of this world. The one who walks in the darkness does not not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And I'll read one last verse, 44. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. All right. I summarized the main parts of this chapter. Because I know it's not a chapter that you commonly just have memorized. But what is a chapter about? Let's think of it this way. What are some bad ways that you can read the Bible? Okay, that is good. You jump right to application. All right? You just immediately start saying, you know, Uh, Jesus hid himself from the people you know what I should go home and get in the closet right you can jump immediately to application there is another twist that is similar to what brother Dale said is to jump immediately to analogy right Jesus fed the 5,000 you know what we need to feed our neighbors you know what Jesus said to fed the 5,000. You know what? We ought to feed the word to those out there. Jumping immediately to analogy. Why are these bad ways to read the Bible? Does that mean that people who do those things never say anything good? No, it's because they can quickly miss the point, right? Let's think of it this way. Who's heard the saying, there's many interpretations of God's Word"? Who's heard that saying? Now, let me tell you the counter, but there's only one right one. And our goal should be to find out that right one, right? That's the journey of the one who studies God's word. We journey to get a finer understanding because we know this, that God wrote the word for a reason. Here's another thing that we understand. God wrote it in an order for a reason. I mean, it should be obvious, but people don't do this. A lot of times when people first start learning the Bible, what they do is they take a list and write numbers of verses down on a notebook. And they write their thoughts for every verse. And they think the longer their thoughts go, the deeper they're studying, right? So they go through a chapter, verse 1 through 10, and they just think a thought, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh I feel five pages, I'm really studying. You know, and you just tap them on the head because they're just starting. That's okay when you're just starting. But you five years in, you ten years in, you teach teaching Sunday school, you're still doing that? Uh, it's time to take the diaper off and start learning how to use the body, right? It's time to grow up in God's word. It's not, you can't be a baby anymore. What do I mean by that? To read God's word like that, like you would never read a newspaper article like that. You would never read a book like that. You would never read a school subject like that. You would never read a speech like that. What do we do? We think when we read something, what is the main point? Right? What is he trying to say? You're looking at a presidential speech. What is he trying to say? And did he convey it? Now, we don't have to have that problem with God's word. We know that it is conveyed the way God wanted it to be conveyed. So the problem is never it. The problem is always us, right? So we always got to look at God's word and say it has a meaning and it's structured in such a way that it has a purpose and there is something central that connects it. So when we look at chapter 12, we got to think to ourselves there's something central that connects it. Is it just a collection of stories? No. That's how somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit reads it. Right? They can read and they say, there's this story, and there's this story, and there's this story, and there's this story. And John has his story, and Mark has his story. Or are they making a point? What's the point? So I ask you, what's the point of chapter 12? Okay, it's pointing to God. All right, let's develop Jamar's thought because he's getting us there. He's talking about it pointing to God. Go ahead. So he's pointing to something that I'll just say is an under thing. I'm not going to say it's the main theme of the chapter, but the under theme, it's like it's a song, and there's a part that reminds us of a little bit of the course, because the course of this book is his death and resurrection, right? So there are things that's pointing us like, hey, this is coming. Hey, Jesus will die. But that keeps being echoed, but does that connect every single part of this chapter? I'm not sure there, but we do see it. Go ahead. yes okay so she's definitely hitting on it and let's just make it as succinct as we can yes belief and unbelief and what makes them possible there's a reason how many times does John stop and say let's look at the book of Isaiah not many times so that means that's got to be central to this chapter right we read many chapters of John and we don't have him extensively quoting a section of the Bible and all of a sudden he stops and says stop reading my book. Hold on a second. I gotta make an editorial comment here. They didn't believe. Now let's look at the beginning of the book. Lazarus is sitting there eating with Jesus after having been dead for four days. And what is Judas looking at? Judas looking at the money. How could he be looking at stealing the money when he was standing in front of a God who had raised a man from the dead. It's shocking to us. It should be shocking. It should be jarring, that level of evil. But also the lack of belief. The next section where the priests are planning to kill Lazarus is not that, hey, this guy raised somebody from the dead, so if I killed him, he could just raise him again. That thought doesn't cross their mind, right? The thought that, hey, this guy actually is legit. He literally rose somebody from the dead. That thought is not from their mind? No. My power. Oh, I need my power, my position. That comes first. And believing in God, what's that? Oh, I'm not worried about that. It will be as if Jesus walked into church and he said, okay, Brian. It, Brian, see, you know, it's not enough positions in the leadership now that I've come here so you'll have to step down from being a deacon and a teacher for me to come here. And I was like, no, Jesus, you can't come into church because I love my position. You would be shocked at my level of evil and selfishness to do that. But that is what we do, and that is what the Pharisees did when they held on to power. You go on from there. You got these people that are seeking out Jesus. They said, oh, Hosanna, glory to the king. But where was they a week later? Crucify him. I believe that some of the same people that was in that crowd that saying Hosanna, the next week was saying, give us Barabbas. How does that happen? Because they didn't believe. Jesus, some people seek him. He doesn't encourage them, it doesn't seem like. He says, hey, if you love me, you got to hate your life. And he gives this idea that believing in him is not easy. It's hard, right? It's starting to hit that central theme again. The voice comes and says, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And the people are sitting there wondering if it's an angel or if it's thunder. They're debating the source instead of the fact that God spoke and confirmed that this man is telling the truth. So after all those chances... What does Jesus do? He hides himself. And that's what happens to many people in their lives. Many people hear God's word over and over and over again, and they think they're going to have chance number 19, and it does not come. And they die in their sins. Remind me of this guy at work, died last week. He was arguing with me about stuff, and I said, okay, fine, I was about to fire him. And said fine you can have your job back that day he died all he was doing was shoveling but you think about it did he think that he was going to die that day otherwise would he have even cared if he had his job back right who thought that he was going to die that day who thought that he would be seeing God that day nobody thought that Grandma talking about the lady in our family. Who thought that her husband would die like that? And that he's seen God. Who knows which way he went? I don't know his life enough to say. But I can tell you this. He's speaking with God. He has to answer for his life. thing about Lola Spears. Now we know where she is. But thank God she was in a place of suffering and now she's in a place of Glory. And the thought is that we all should be thinking about death, right? We all should be thinking about this. We should all be thinking about the fact that God is real. And I don't think we often think like that. I don't think that if we thought that we would have to face a throne where we would barely be able to see above God's toe, we wouldn't lie, right? We wouldn't have a half-hearted desire to come to Sunday school you wouldn't say "Eh, it's better for me to get 30 minutes of sleep than to come to Sunday school because we would know we'd have to answer for that thought when we get before and it is that weight that expresses true belief
2: good evening everybody so today, let's focus on that we are days away from Valentine's Day. Um, let's just have our prayer focus be on all the loved ones in our life. So that's friends, family, and um, spiritual and media families. So obviously, church body is we all um, one family. So so very easy. Just however, um, Jonathan Jamar, you just feel. Stirred to pray for those that, you know, our loved ones, how they have blessed you. Um, and then I'll close this up.
3: Lord, thank you just for allowing us come together tonight, just to have this chance just to meet and um, just go through your words, Lord. I pray not just for this time as we are um, getting together for just for this Valentine's Day, normally a time, think about couples. And just uh, celebrate love between couples lord pray that we also think about our um people outside of just couples people us in our family our friendships our uh, relationships in general the lord just thank you for those around us and for the opportunity to be to connect with people and pray that we may be a light to those around us that we may just show them the love of you show them the love that you have given us and given to the world how many ways you have blessed us in this world the lord And just pray that we may be a light to them and lead them to your church and to your love here. I just thank you just for everything you've done, the Lord, just uh, so far this year. And just um, thank you just for being such a great and gracious God and a forgiving God. And have so much patience with us, the Lord, as uh, this world uh, just continues just to move forward away from you, the Lord. And just pray that we may just be those out there calling and, and pulling people back to you, the Lord. I thank you just again for this Valentine's Day coming up and it's a time to celebrate love amongst uh, couples. And pray not just so we may think of our family members, our friends, our co workers, our associates, everyone, the Lord, and just, uh, just be thankful for them. In the name of the Son Jesus, amen.
0: Dear Lord, just hold us and just watch out and
2: guide for us. Our families and Lord, we continue in prayer. We just lift up um, this this season, Lord. It's a season that's focused on love, Lord. But we know that you are a God that loves us, that loves your people, loves your people as um, a father loves his children. We think of those in our lives, Lord, who are loved ones to us. We think of our friends, Lord, those. Um, who are close to us. Some are saved and some are not saved, Lord. But we um, think of them as you have given those people and put those people in our lives to be a blessing to us. We think of family members, Lord, who are immediate, who are blood-related to us, Lord. We just thank you for those um, parents that loved us as they raised us, Lord. Um, siblings that love us, Lord. And also, most importantly, Lord, we just think of our church family, Lord. Those of us who are of the same body, Lord. How we love each other, Lord. and. Um, how we show that love to each other on a consistent basis, how we see um, these people multiple times a week, Lord. And we just thank you for putting those people in our lives as well, Lord. as They are a a blessing to us, a joy to us. And um, that our, um, our being a part of the church is we're not a singular person, but we're part of a group, Lord. And that love is shared amongst that group, Lord. And we just thank you for having that provision for us. In your name we pray.